Good morning. Can you read that? All right. Charles said he needed to tweak it a little bit because I made it red, but that looks black up there. And He said if we didn't change it a little bit, we wouldn't be able to, to see it. So you can see it? All right. What's it say? All right. You weren't lying. You can see it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to speak about the devil because he is a dangerous individual and we need to be properly informed. He's introduced to us in the third chapter of Genesis as the serpent. Very interesting account here. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, he just shows up and there's no explanation about who or what he is, which shouldn't surprise us because what does the first verse of the Bible say? But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No explanation about where God came from or how he created the heavens and the earth. It just says that he did it and we believe it or we don't. But if there is a God, in his genius, he put these words down because it makes perfect sense. That since there is a God, that's how it would be put down. And if we could comprehend who he was, where he came from, and how he brought everything into existence by his word, well, I don't think a God capable of that and a being who is that would be explainable to our little minds. How about you? When he talked to Moses, Moses said, who am I going to tell him sent me? God simply said, tell him I am has sent you. And that's who he is. He is, I am. And so we don't get an explanation about him. We don't get an explanation about the serpent. But we find out very quickly who God is. He's the creator. And we find out very quickly who Satan is. He's the deceiver. He's the liar. He's the accuser. He is all of those things and more. And we will talk about that. No explanation of who he is. No explanation of where he came from. We'll talk about this a little bit later because there are a lot of ideas about his origin, where he came from, how he came to be, but there's really no set answer in Scripture. But he comes in the form of a serpent, though apparently he had legs. Why do I say that? Because part of the curse was after he had deceived Eve that he would no longer have legs. He would go about on his belly and eat the dust of the earth. And if he was eating the dust of the earth prior to this, well, I suppose maybe he had wings instead of legs. Who knows? But that was part of his curse. And so the serpents, as we see them now, perhaps were not as they always have been. And if you're not creeped out by a serpent, I'm a little creeped out by you. It's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Isn't that an interesting phenomenon that of all the animals on the planet, the creepiest thing that we seem to have in mind all the time is a snake. And I know people like snakes. There are herpetologists who have a fascination with them. But the thing is, all of us seem to have a fascination with snakes. It's just an icky fascination. Something about them, something about the way they move the way they are camouflaged, just their nature, looking into a snake's face, if you can say that a snake has a face, their eyes, there's just something going on there. 
And I think it goes all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis. Can't prove that, but that's what I think. What really tells us what we need to know about Satan is how he behaves. You see in this account, everything's perfect. God, Adam, Eve are all in communion. Everything is great. There's plenty to eat. There's no sickness. There's no disease. And all of that is about to change because of the influence of Satan. It says in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Anything seem strange to you here? Here's a woman talking to a beast. Not a woman, the woman, the only woman there is. There's a lot that's not explained. I keep saying this thing, and some of you have heard me say it. I, I need one more verse. Now, actually, I don't really need one more verse. If I needed one more verse, there would be one more verse. But there are things I want to know. But apparently these are things I don't need to know. I want to know, why was she so comfortable talking to a beast? Did this happen all the time? And then I go to, to the book of Numbers and I read about Balaam, whose donkey stopped and wouldn't proceed any farther and laid down and crushed his leg against the wall because he didn't see the angel that was going to kill him, but the, the donkey did. And then the donkey spoke to him. And Balaam didn't go, wow, my donkey's talking. <laughs> he started talking back to the donkey. It's like, what? Is this a Disney movie or something? I assure you, this is not a Disney movie. All these things are real. And so the serpent talks to Eve. And the very first words out of his mouth, he's planning to deceive her. As God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Did the woman know what was right? Of course she knew what was right. He knew she knew what was right. But he so coerces her to believe that God does not have her best interest at heart. Verse 4, he says, you surely will not die, controverting the words of God that she understood. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you can't trust God. He hasn't been honest with you. He hasn't been straightforward on the up and up. I'm, I'm the one who's telling you the truth here. That's what he would have her to believe. And so she was deceived. But we need to notice it wasn't just the influence of Satan that she was listening to. She was listening to him. But it says, when the woman saw, she saw with her own eyes that the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she ate. She gave to her husband. And he ate. So it wasn't just the devil, it was her. And that's how it happens all the time. 
It's the same way. Nothing has changed. One of the things we'll talk about later is that the devil can't make you do anything. Can I get an amen? I I want you to think about that. The devil cannot make you do anything counter to Flip Wilson. Bless his heart. Y'all know who Flip Wilson is. He used to play a character called Geraldine, and that was her line. The devil made me do it. Except he would say, the devil made me do it. (laughs) That's about the only impression I can do. No way I can do Cary Grant. Judy, Judy, Judy. That's how, well, if you ever watch Andy Griffith, you've seen that. But, but Geraldine was, was a character that he played, and that was her line. The devil made me do it. But the devil can't make you do anything. He can do what he's doing with Eve. He can implant ideas in your mind, in your head. And they're always going to be false. They're always going to be lies. They're always going to be wrong. They're always going to lead you to your harm, even though they really sound good. She's looking at this fruit, and she's thinking, wow, look at that. It's beautiful. It looks like it would be good. Oh, it'll make me smart, too. It's not just good for my body. It's good for my mind. What a lie. But she believed it. She was deceived, and she ate the fruit. That's what the devil does. That's how he behaves. How about his origin? Do we know anything about it? Not really, although in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking to us about the final judgment, he says that he is going to be in the lake of fire and he's going to have his angels with him. So it it appears maybe he is a fallen angel. I don't know who or what else he would be, but a fallen angel. An angel who has been lifted up with pride. That's what a later text will say. When Timothy is, is being written to by Paul about the qualifications for elders. He said, can't be a novice, can't be a new guy in the faith, or he'll be lifted up with conceit and pride and likens that to what happened with the devil. So there may be something there, or there obviously is something there to do with that. Now, Isaiah 14 is often pointed to as, oh, this tells us all about the origin of Satan. But Isaiah 14 is about the king of Babylon. Go read Isaiah 14 and you'll see in the context, not only as it starts, it says the king of Babylon, it's about the king of Babylon, but later on down it'll talk about a man and him dying and going to the grave and being eaten by worms. Yeah, that's pretty graphic stuff. The Bible would make a great movie, wouldn't it? But that's not the story of Satan in Isaiah 14. Maybe it's a parallel and you've got to agree, there would be these kinds of parallels throughout history of men who were exalted to high position and used that high position for evil and for selfishness. And then they would fall from that position, be taken out by God because he's the one who raises up kings and nations and he's the one who brings them down. So it would be a similar story. But Isaiah 14 is not written about the devil. It's written about the king of Babylon. So if God doesn't tell us about Satan's origin... And apparently we don't need to know. And we can speculate if we want. Sometimes it's kind of fun to do that and interesting. And sometimes there is something to be learned by speculating. But the bottom line is we don't know. And if God has not told us, then we must not need to know. And then there is one of my favorite passages, Deuteronomy 29.29. What does Deuteronomy 29.29 say? If you don't have that highlighted in your Bible, I highly suggest that you get yourself a highlighter. Write that down. Memorize it. It says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed 
belong to us and our children forever. So that tells us at once there are things that are secret as well as things that are revealed. And it's pointless to look for the secret things because they belong to God. It's not our place to look for those things. But when he reveals something to it, search that out. Search out the revelation to find information. But we just don't have any information on this particular question, the origin of the devil. His identity, however, is found in what he does. He does he's a deceiver. That's what we've been talking about in Genesis chapter 3. But this carries right on through from the first book of the Bible to the Revelation, which, as we have our Bible organized, is the last book of the Bible. It talks about the devil, that old serpent, being the one who is a deceiver. He has always been a deceiver. He continues to be a deceiver. That's who and what he is. He is also a tempter. Not only did he tempt Eve, but you read in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came to him there and tempted him. And it's interesting Jesus was tempted in the same way Eve was tempted. But there's a reason for that because those are the only three ways we can be tempted. The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Those are the three categories of temptation that there are in the universe. And Eve was subjected to those temptations. And Satan, or uh, Jesus was also through Satan trying to get sin to take place. He is our accuser. In Job, you know what Satan said to God about Job? Oh, you, you take these blessings away from him and he'll curse you to your face. Accusing Job of serving only because God was being good to him. But this wasn't the first time Satan accused anybody. What did Satan accuse God of that we just read in Genesis chapter 3? Basically accusing God. Oh, he does not have your best interest at heart. He's lying to you. That's what he wants us to believe. And then, of course, Revelation chapter 20, or chapter 12, once again, we go back to that text where it says, the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. The devil is your accuser. He is my accuser. Does he have anything to accuse us of? Well, you know he does. He's got dirt on all of us. It's legitimate. See, that's the thing. It's all legit. He doesn't have to make anything up about me. There's enough real stuff that he could accuse me over. And Jesus says... Forget it. It's been covered by my blood. What a a fantastic deal is that? That we've got Satan, uh, the most wicked entity in the world, rightly accusing you and me, but it means nothing because of the blood of Christ. But what does it mean for those who do not have the blood of Christ? Well, I think you see the end of that. Not only an accuser, but he's a promoter of failure. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might do what? You remember what he said? Sift you like wheat. I remember when I was a kid, I was fascinated with my mom's wheat sifter. I don't know why. And if you've never seen one, boy, that's a great invention. It's a, it's a cylinder like a can, but it doesn't have a bottom or a top. It's just a, a cylinder. And inside, there's this little mesh net thing, and it's got a handle on the side. It like... Like those cool guitars you used to have when you were a kid. And and you'd crank that thing and you'd put wheat in there and you'd do that little handle and and it would make that wheat go through that that mesh and and sift it all out. Take all the lumps out of your wheat. I thought that was so cool. And then I read this. I thought, wow. The devil wants to put Peter in that sifter. And if he wants to put Peter in there, who else does he want to put in there? 
And when you read the text, you find out that Jesus said to Peter, but I will pray for you that your faith will not fail. You see, that's what the devil wants. He wanted Peter to fail. He wanted Eve to fail. He wants you to fail. He does not want you to believe anything that God has said. He wants all of your endeavors to fail except those endeavors that will lead you closer to him. If you're pursuing evil and you're being successful, well, that's nothing to be thankful for. But he doesn't want you to succeed. You ever talk to somebody and have you ever said to somebody, I was trying to do this, but I think the devil kept getting in the way. He must not like what I'm doing because I haven't been able to do it. And sometimes I wonder if there's more reality to that joking expression than we might know. Because the devil himself is a promoter of failure, especially among God's people. The devil is a murderer. Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 44. When John would write later in the first letter, he would say that everyone who hates is a murderer. And nobody hates like the devil. Nobody's responsible for all the death in the world like the devil is responsible for all the death in the world. The devil is a murderer, but he's also a liar. We know that from Genesis 3, and Jesus said it clearly in John chapter 8 and verse 44. But if you look at John 8, 44, this particular text, Jesus is talking to us about the character of the devil. And he expresses something that is a difficult truth in one way, but a wonderful truth in another. John chapter 8, start with me at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. And then he says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus is telling these men, you are his children. And this is a spiritual truth. You go back to that creation account again. Well, we're pulling a lot of that out of today. You go back to that creation account, and there's a phrase that's repeated ten times in the creation account. That phrase is, everything reproduces after its kind, after its kind. And so these men were reproducing the works of the devil, and so Jesus says, you are his offspring. And then you read in Galatians chapter 3. That because we have put Christ on in faith through baptism, we become children of Abraham. I'm not Jewish. Are you Jewish? Some of you, I think, are. But everybody's a Jew through faith in Christ. Everybody's a child of Abraham, really, is what that's saying. The devil's a liar and the father of liars. But he's also, he's an advantage taker. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 if you look at this text with me, this is a situation where the, the church had, had come together about a brother who was in sin and had withdrawn fellowship. Apparently that's what happened from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and this situation had been rectified. And so I believe that's what Paul's writing about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So he says, verse 6, 
2 Corinthians 2, 6, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven any, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So here's a difficult situation where a brother's been in sin, they've withdrawn fellowship, he's repented, and now they're taking him back in. And he's encouraging them, you reaffirm your love. Because here's an opportunity for Satan to take advantage. And we are not ignorant of his schemes. The devil is a schemer. He is a planner. And all of his schemes will end up to our hurt. Similar thing is said in Ephesians chapter 6. What's he talking about here? He's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God because the devil has schemes. He's got plans. And all of his plans are for your hurt. He's an imposter, angel of light. You ever turn on your TV and there's one of those televangelists on there preaching away? The thing about a lot of those guys is, and I'm, I'm not here to judge them, but I'm saying so much of what they say is right on. And then you get down to the end. Somewhere near the end, if you don't get it near the beginning, you'll get it near the end. There's something wrong. But all of the good can make you think, that's, that's okay. I once heard somebody speculate that you could go throughout the dumpsters in Oklahoma City and you could probably find some pretty good food in the dumpsters. And I actually know people who have done this. But who wants to go to the dumpster looking for something to eat? And that's kind of what we do when we listen to Satan and his imposters. He has servants. Same thing he's talking about here. If the devil is an angel of light, if he appears like that, so much more his servants will appear that way. He's a devouring lion. Now, it wasn't a lion, it was a tiger. But I remember years ago, we were at a zoo, and uh, the guys were in there, some construction guys had been hired to work on the tiger's cage, and the tiger did not like it. And as we were coming close, that tiger roared one of the most, I think about it, and the hair stands up on the back of my neck. There's something about those big cats, they're scary. And Peter warns us. And who better than Peter? He was the one, remember? Satan wanted to sift like wheat. And Peter warns us about Satan. He is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Don't let it be you. And it doesn't have to be you. We'll talk about that in a minute. The reason God prepared hell is the devil. Go back to that text in Matthew 25. And Jesus is talking about the, the goats on the left are going to be turned into hell. The lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for people. Satan had done something wicked enough, evil enough, that God says, well, I'm going to have to have a place to put him now. I'll make a lake of fire. 
And that's where I'll send him and his angels. That's what it's prepared for. That's who it's prepared for. That's the reason it exists because of Satan. That's how bad he is. It does not exist because of you, but it will be your inheritance along with the devil if you follow his ways. So what's the takeaway on this lesson? I don't know, but I read that takeaway and I get hungry for Chinese food. That's just a... Satan's real. This isn't some made-up religious story. He's not a fiction of somebody's imagination. He is a reality, and Jesus faced him, and you face him too. He wants to hurt you. He wants to hurt your family. He wants to hurt the church. And he has all kinds of schemes and ways to try to influence us to his way of thinking so that this will happen. He wants to hurt you and your personal life. He wants to hurt your marriage. He wants to hurt your family. He wants to hurt the church, and he'll do it through you if he can. Because here's the thing about the church. Somebody from outside the church, they'd have a really hard time hurting us because we know, well, they're not even a member of the church. Why would we listen to them? Why would we let them influence? But somebody who is a member of the church, that's who the devil would work on. The worst crimes are the inside jobs. And the devil wants to hurt us and he wants to hurt us from the inside. He is not in any way equal to God. Don't get this idea, well, there's God and then there's the devil and they're equal to one another. No, they're not. And I know in the cartoons there's a little white angel and there's a little red devil. Which shoulder are they on? I know some of you are going, well, I got the same one on both. The devil is not God's equal. And I've wondered, why in the world does God even allow Satan to exist? Have you ever thought about that? That's another unanswered question. But I surmise it's this. Well, what's the greatest thing in the universe? What's the greatest commandment we have? It's love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the two greatest commands. But the only way love can exist is if there is a choice. If we can choose evil, then we can choose good. If we can't choose evil, then there's no way to choose good. Good's all there is. That's no choice, and it's not love. And so God, perhaps leaves Satan around for the time being so that we will be able to choose the good from the bad. Perhaps that's it. He is not God's equal, but he is someone. Give us an option. He cannot make you do anything. Hallelujah. Thank God. He can't make us do anything. We do what we want. And that's part of the problem. God's word is the only antidote to Satan's poison. What did Jesus say three times when Satan tempted him? He said, it is written. And then he would quote scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. Resist him and he'll flee. You've got the power. As powerful as he is, you have more power through Jesus Christ. You resist Satan and he will flee. It doesn't say he will lose interest. It doesn't say he will decide, well, can't get anything here. It says he will flee. What does it mean to flee? That means you run away. Satan will run away from you, not by your power, but by your choice to stick with the power of God. James 4, 7. 
Commit that text to memory. Remember it. Hold on to it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And draw near to God. The next verse. If you draw near to God, what does God do? He draws near to you. You see, it's not enough to simply resist the devil. Jesus talked about a casting out a spirit. You cast out a spirit, but if you don't fill up the house with something else, seven more spirits, even wicked, wickeder, more wickeder, wickedier, then the first one will come, and they'll fill that house up, and it'll be worse than it ever was at first. Don't simply resist the devil. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And I think about what Jesus said. We were reading it in class this morning. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Think about the place Jesus has prepared. Think about the contrast. Jesus preparing a place for you and for me. And think about the place he's prepared for the devil and his angels. We will inherit one or the other of those places. Isn't it great to think about what God has prepared for us with his father? In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming back for you. You believe that? He's coming back. Amen. Maybe today. You're thinking, well, I've got to come back tonight. Oh, but we don't have to come back. We get to come back because Kim is talking tonight. I want to come back in here. I always enjoy that man. He's just got something great to say all the time. But we not make, may not make it till tonight. He could come back today. Are you ready if he came back? Are you ready to be in the place the Lord has provided for you? Or will you have to be in the place God has provided for Satan? It's your choice today. We want to talk to you about putting your faith in Jesus Christ and obeying the gospel by repenting of your sin, confessing his name, and letting someone bury you in water. It's called baptism. And you rise to walk in newness of life. That's the gospel plan for your salvation and mine. If you want to talk about that, you want to do that, you need prayers in this congregation, we're here for you. This song is for you. We're inviting you to respond while we stand and sing.